Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's V-I dot com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution. To use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. I'm Brett Winterbull. Welcome to Devious Motives. It is uh, uh, an amazing news day that is unfolding out there before our very eyes. We are up on uh, episode 12, episode 12 of 30. I can't believe how fast this is going, but the news cycle doesn't rest for anything. A big story moving out of the New York Post. Holy cow, this is a big deal, folks. This is a huge deal. The New York Post, with a story, smoking gun email reveals how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman to Vice uh, President Dad. Hunter Biden introduced his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to a top executive at a Ukrainian energy firm less than a year before the elder Biden pressured the government officials, we saw it on tape, into firing a prosecutor who is investigating the company. That's according to emails obtained by the New York Post. Now, the never-before-revealed meeting comes on October the 14th, although Rudy Giuliani apparently knew about this back in in September at some point, but the never-before-revealed meeting is mentioned in a message of appreciation that Vadim Pozharsky, an advisor to the board of Burisma, allegedly sent Hunter Biden on April 17th, 2015. That's about a year after Hunter joined the Burisma board, by the way. And he was getting paid up to $50,000 a month for basically a no-show job. I mean, that's essentially what it was. Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spent some time together. It's really an honor and a pleasure. An earlier email from May in 2014 also shows that Pazarski, reportedly Burisma's number three executive, asked Hunter for advice on how you could use your influence on the company's behalf. That is a direct (laughs) exhortation for a quid pro quo. I'm going to just put a parenthesis in here for a quick second. If Joe Biden gets elected to the presidency, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the audible to Tom Fitton. You need to immediately depose Hunter and Joe and talk to them about what they knew about the meeting. And you got to get them on the record because this could actually be perjury. And I'm sorry to have to make this really ugly and talk about this like we're going to impeach Biden. But look, you impeached Trump for um, a phone call 
that Vindman and Charamella overheard that made them feel a little uncomfortable. This is actually a quid pro quo. Hey, can you give me some advice on how we can influence Pedal, your old man, who's the VP and in charge? He's the honcho when it comes to Ukrainian policy. The blockbuster correspondence flies in the face of Joe Biden's claim that he, quote, has never spoken to my son from overseas business dealings. It never happened. I never talked about it. Really? Really? Are you kidding me? Any adult person with any sentient mind understands that that's phony. People talk to their parents all the time. Even if you're estranged, by and large, you will still seek advice, um, information, things like that. You never talked to Hunter Biden about what. So what if you found out later on, Joe Biden, that Hunter Biden was like a major drug trafficker? Working with El Chapo, you wouldn't have known that either. Oh, you never told me he was uh, making runs between Oaxaca and uh, uh, South L.A. to deliver dope. It's just not believable, okay? There's other material, by the way, that's that's uh, on this laptop. It's a laptop that was brought in to get recovery work done. And, and there's other stuff on this. It is actually almost as bad, maybe worse. Uh, other material extracted from the computer includes a raunchy 12-minute video that appears to show Hunter, who's admitted to struggling with addiction issues, smoking crack while engaged in a sex act with an unidentified woman, as well as numerous other sexually explicit, explicit images. Here's, here's my take. I got And I'm serious when I say this, okay? Dead serious. I, I, want, I want to pay money to not ever see that. I would, I'll pay ransom to not see Hunter with a crack pipe. I don't want to see Hunter with any crack at all, no matter what it is. And I will pay money not to see Hunter Biden with any crack, whether a pipe or some other form of crack. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know it. I don't want to see naked Hunter for any purpose whatsoever. But but here's the thing. This is the crazy part of the whole story. A customer brought in a water damaged MacBook Pro for repair, never paid for the service or retrieved it or a hard drive on which its contents were stored, according to the shop owner from Delaware, who said he tried repeatedly to contact the client. The shop owner couldn't positively identify the customer as Hunter Biden, but said the laptop bore a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation, named after Hunter's late brother and former Delaware attorney general. It's a big deal. This is now the subject of a subpoena. Uh, we know, according to Maggie Haberman, that, hey, somebody made a copy of the hard drive. This may be in violation of the law. Oh, pish tosh, a mere bag of shells. This is a big deal. This is potentially uh, influence peddling. You want to talk about deep throat? How about deep crack throat? This is no good. This is a problem. Now, I don't know what's going to happen because of this. I, I really don't. I feel like Hunter Biden, in the same way that Bill Clinton was a, was a man with interests in many women, uh, I feel like that's priced into the earnings report here, okay? That we understand that Hunter Biden is probably going to be the guy that gets caught up in slow speed chases and 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 fighting the cops for the duration of a of a Joe Biden presidency. But I don't care about the crack. I don't care about hookers. I don't care about the crack or the hookers. I care about the idea that this Russian or this Ukrainian writes a note that says, "Hey, Thanks for setting up the meeting with me and your father, number one. And number two, prior to that, says, hey, can you tell me how you can influence pedal the old man since he's there in the White House? I, it's a big deal. I, I mean, you, you've impeached Donald Trump over far less than this. I mean, what, what Donald Trump was impeached over was, was minor. It was a, hey, can you get to the bottom of these dirtbags that were totally trying to do stuff? Can you let me know what's going on with that over in your country. 
that is that is a totally different set of circumstances, folks. I mean, I think this is a big deal. I think it's actually a huge deal. Uh, I know many people are not going to care about it. They're going to write this off as just, well, that's just Hunter. That's just Hunter being Hunter. Meanwhile, former President Barack Obama is reportedly poised to hit the campaign trail for Joe Biden, his former vice president, as the 2020 presidential race enters its crucial final stretch. My advice for 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 President Obama would be maybe to not do that. And, and I'm serious when I say it. You, you really do pretty much only represent a surge for the people who opposed you and, and Joe Biden's administration. President Obama plans to hit the trail soon. In addition to all the other activities he's undertaken all year in support of VP Biden, said we have to do everything we can to win on November 3rd. Obama spoke at the DNC. Um, Biden says he's doing enough for our campaign. He'll be out there on the trail. He's doing well. You're dude, you're like you're, you're like three weeks away, two and a half, three weeks away from the election. And I mean, yes, I get it. O- Obama can do some good stuff for you. He can shore up your voters that you already have. But I don't think he's going to reach out to any voters across the aisle. And here's my tip to the to the Trump campaign, by the way, unsolicited. They don't they don't need my advice. You guys might want to remember some of Barack Obama's greatest hits, including we used the IRS to spy on Tea Party activists. And of course, let's not forget Eric Holder and Hillary Clinton's awesome gun smuggling program that sent 3000 machine guns across the border into Mexico, resulting in deaths of, uh, of hundreds or thousands of Mexican nationals as well as an American border agent called Brian Terry that nobody has ever talked about. And that, to me, is so horribly tragic and sad because this was a man in service to his nation who lost his life on the frontier in Arizona. And, and his, his life should mean something. His life should, should be an important part of the mosaic of American history in an unsecured border. Eric the Holder and Hillary the Clinton, uh, Joe the Biden and Barack the Obama, uh, they, they, they were all part of this scheme uh, to run uh, guns into Mexico in the hopes that they could then jack up American gun stores on the U.S. side of the border. Interestingly enough, what they never factored in was the idea that those American gun stores would be calling the BATFE, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, and and say to the to the ATF people who answered the phones, you know, I, this dude just pulled up in a van. I don't mean to say dude twice in one segment, but this is dude worthy. Um, this guy just pulled up in a van outside of our gun store he's got plates from sinaloa he's got plates from uh, uh mexico and he's looking to buy 15 ak-47s do you guys want to send somebody over here to maybe take them into custody oh what's that no it's okay i can sell them the ak-47 but i think they're cartel got okay so so you have a plan to trace them and to track them all the way back into mexico and then ar- arrest them later okay you got it thank you very much yes okay bye-bye Nonsense. There, there are plenty of scandals to go around that go back to the Obama-Biden years and that reflect poorly on Joe Biden's leadership in the White House alongside the president. The, the deployment of the Internal Revenue Service against American citizens is a travesty. The deployment of 3,000-plus guns into Mexico— that led to the deaths of hundreds, maybe thousands of Mexican nationals is a tragedy. And at the time, I said on my over-the-air radio show in San Diego that I do believe that if Mexico requested the Trump administration to extradite Eric Holder to stand trial 
in Mexico for crimes against the Mexican people, or if the International Criminal Court, the Tribunal, or The Hague reached out and said, we want to investigate this crime against the Mexican state, they would be well within their rights because Hillary Clinton and Eric Holder, the Attorney General, sent those guns into Mexico knowingly. Knowingly. This wasn't, oh man, we sold them to the cartels. We never knew the cartels would use the guns to kill people. Well, what do you think they were doing? A gun buyback program? We'll just go up there and buy all the guns, and then nobody will have any guns. It's a disgrace. And those are just the, 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 the headline tagline issues. So if, if Obama goes out there on the campaign trail, uh, I'm telling you right now, I think it's important to uh, uh, look into this, to raise these issues. You already know that Beto is going to be in charge of your firearms. You already know there's going to be a gun grab and a confiscation. You've already seen the dirty tricks played by the uh, Biden-Obama administration back in, uh, in 2010, and it was ineffectively prosecuted by Daryl Issa and the rest of those nudniks in the Congress. They wanted to waste and spend all their time on other investigations. This thing was fundamental to the violation of not just U.S. law, but international law. For a period of time, understand this, you can go back and reread all this on gun walking and, and, and Fast and Furious, not the movie, but the scheme. This represented the time at which the United States essentially played the part of Pakistan over in Southwest Asia, meaning Pakistan was arming and, and supplying Taliban fighters in an effort to kill American military personnel. That's why we eventually pulled the plug on the Pakistanis. The exact same thing was taking place. We were sending thousands of weapons into Mexico in the hands of the cartels as part of what would be a sting operation that didn't do anything but sting the people of Mexico and sting them brutally. And why it is there was never a, a much more full investigation and prosecutions as a result of this is absolutely beyond me. All right. Finally, day three, ACB sitting down doing the Q&A. You got ACB with the Q&A with, with some of these uh, these relics there. Uh, my quick takeaway on the events of last night, uh, you had uh, the big buildup to Kamala Harris coming out and questioning ACB, didn't lay a glove on her, made the case that ACB is going to kill the Affordable Care Act, is going to uh, be responsible for the deaths of thousands because of the killing of the Affordable Care Act. The reality is it was established early on. I know that Kamala Harris wasn't paying attention. I know that her staff wasn't paying close enough attention. But the issues of severability, that is to say, you knock out the mandate, you knock out the portion of the ACA that's actually in violation of the law. The rest of that law can stand. You don't have to worry about the lies being told on on pre-existing conditions. You don't have to be uh, buying into the, the tales of, of mayhem, dissension, and woe. Because with severability getting knocked out by saying it's not a mandate, you can go buy whatever insurance you want, and these people can keep this insurance over here. It's not an issue. And, and the thing that I keep coming back to on these ACB hearings is this is supposed to be a, um, a challenging time for ACB, and she is winning the day consistently. When Maisie Hirono asked her if she was guilty of sex assault or rape, I felt embarrassed for ACB, and I felt embarrassed for the nation to have to watch Maisie Hirono. When Cory Booker asks if Amy Coney Barrett renounces white 
white supremacy? And she says, yeah, I do. You, you know, a governor, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Senator Booker, she spoke about it earlier in the day with the Dick Durbin when the Dick Durbin was asking about George Floyd. You could have just scratched that off your list, but instead you wanted the, the goofy moment of looking like you're taking some big stand. They're not laying a glove on her. I don't expect that's going to be the case moving forward. I think she sails through confirmation. I'm Brett Witterbull. It is Devious Motives. You're listening to Devious Motives. You're listening to Devious Motives. Happy to welcome to the program Rick Gates. You know him as somebody who rose through multiple senior roles in Donald Trump's campaign starting in March of 2016, serving as a deputy convention manager and rising to a deputy uh, campaign chairman. And following his successful election, President Trump's successful election, he continued his service as a deputy chairman for the president-elect's inaugural committee. Uh, Rick has got a brand new book out, Wicked Game, an insider story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. We'll talk about that in a brief moment. But I want to welcome to the show Rick Gates. It's good to have you here, Rick. Um, let's talk a little bit about the environment in which we're, we're watching this this contest play out, this reelect. You're contending these current political polls are wrong. Uh, share with the audience why you believe that is. Absolutely, Brett. Thanks very much for having me on your show. You know, one thing that the uh, American people, I hope, realize is that there's still 20 days to go in this race. And if we learned anything from 2016, anything can happen in these 20 days. Uh, just doing a quick exercise and, and looking at the polling data, which I don't believe uh, in the polls right now, and, and I didn't in 2016. And I think that every American should be cautious about the way that these polls are structured, manipulated, uh, and used to garner headlines or to try to drive, you know, voters to potentially, you know, not vote, uh, or in some cases, you know, vote overwhelmingly. So the data that we found in 2016 uh, compared to today is actually President Trump is in a better position today in key battleground states than he was in 2016 at the same point in time. And that's why I say, look, there's 20 days, a lot can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in states like uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, the president is doing better than, uh, than today than Joe Biden is doing compared to Hillary Clinton. And that's a, that's a very important sign. And that's why Democrats, although they're out there, you know, saying, look, I, you know, Biden's going to win, they're very hesitant. And they're very cautious because they they recall all too well what happened in 2016. Do do the debates matter at this point or, or have so many of the people made their minds up by this stage of the game that that they, they really can't do anything to advance either side's ball? Debates typically don't have a large impact. I mean, let's be honest, how many people, although it was a, an unusual debate, yes. uh, how many people really remember, you know, that much from the last debate? You know, they might have one or two takeaways. But at this stage, you know, especially in, in the America we're in right now, the, the voters are, are so, um, you know, it's been so divisive of an environment. There's really only a very small percentage. I'm calculating about maybe two, three percent of voters that are either, you know, kind of undecided or could be swayed or persuaded, you know, in another direction. Everybody, you know, more so than ever before, is really locked in to either President Trump or Joe Biden. We hear a lot of emphasis on the suburban white women voters in the suburbs who have become dis, you know, disenchanted with the president. We hear very little about African-Americans and uh, Hispanics and Latinos uh, as parts of these polls. Is that a potentially overlooked uh, uh, area of support that the president may be garnering? So this is interesting. That's a great question. So in 2016, you know, of course, you know, defying most of the odds along the way. 
uh, even in the general election, he defied the odds with respect to what pollsters thought he was going to get from um, a, a black vote or a Latino vote. And I think there's very something very interesting. I, I did a, a look the other day in uh, key uh, Democratic cities, uh, places like uh, Detroit, Chicago, Philadelphia. Um, and it was surprising even to me to see kind of the lackluster support uh, that the black vote had uh, for Joe Biden. And it was even lower than, in some cases, the Hillary Clinton vote. And, and, and I always thought that, you know, Joe Biden had a, had a, had a better uh, reputation within that uh, voting demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not a lot of these voters come out. Because the reason they didn't do it in 2016 for Hillary Clinton is because they just weren't motivated. You know, right. and this is what I think happens when you have. He had opportunities to help these different communities, Latinos, mm-hmm. the black community. And he didn't. And they recognize that. So they're less motivated to go out and actually support him. So I think it's a very good question, because when you start breaking down the demographics, that was a very, very um, uh, understated uh, headline in 2016, is that President Trump was actually able to capture those demographics at a much higher percentage than people realized. What are your thoughts um, in, in terms of covid? Obviously, uh, Biden and Harris have made COVID a central focus of their theme. The president comes down with COVID, battles back, comes back from it, is now d- back out doing uh, rallies. Uh, the American people, are they blaming the president f- for COVID or for a failed response? Or or do you think that they're smart enough and sophisticated enough to understand that this is a, a worldwide problem? We're, we're learning as we go, and it's really not the president's fault that that we have found ourselves in this position with COVID. Look, there is no government in the world that was prepared for this. And one of the things I think that's been fascinating to watch through this process is that you got to think when you're president, you're thinking about this crisis, this you know global uh, emergency. You have to think it in much broader terms. So when Dr. Fauci gets up and says, you know, whatever he's saying for the day, he's only looking at it from a singular perspective, and that's from a scientific perspective. Well, one thing that we've all learned through this is that the scientists have been wrong too. So when you get to a point where, you know, you're communicating these messages out to the American people, it's a great warning. You've got to be clear. You've got to be concise and you've got to be accurate. And because of the way that COVID hit, nobody knew what was going to happen. They didn't know the impact or the or the effects. And I think that has driven a lot of the you know anger uh, toward the administration. But if you actually look at it far and I thought the vice president did probably the best job of anybody so far laying out the case of how, you know, lives were saved. It is still a tragedy that lives are lost, and we can certainly use this as a learning experience down the road. But absolutely, I don't think the American people are, are, are holding the president responsible mm-hmm. for COVID, but I think he absolutely needs to make sure that he nails this down. I think his reaction to the vaccine has probably given the most hope to Americans, and I think because of his CEO mentality, Uh, to get a vaccine as quickly as possible. I think that has really brought it back to that this president's decisiveness taking action on it. Rick Gates joining us here on the show. You have a book out, Wicked Game, an insider's story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. Uh, It would be remiss if we didn't think back to a year ago. Just about a year ago now, Adam Schiff was uh, on his uh, quixotic uh, quest to impeach the president. He would eventually be successful in that regard. Pelosi as a co-conspirator in that regard. The trial would take place. He would be acquitted and we would then be cast into the into this covid mess. What about this this idea of the deep state, the idea that you have an investigative bureaucracy looking to sink people for their politics? You were certainly caught up in a lot of that. They they counted so much on Mueller 
that when he didn't deliver the goods, they had to suddenly pivot over to Ukraine and all the other stuff. And yet today, front page of the New York Post, there's Hunter Biden potentially trading on his name, uh, introducing his father to a to an oligarch in Ukraine. Can you talk a little bit about that? Th- th- this 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 phenomenon, this culture that exists of this uh, permanent investigative state looking to take down uh, people who have been elected and who have worked to get people elected in this country. Absolutely. You know, the, the Washington, D.C. bubble or the Washington, D.C. establishment, as we often refer to it, um, it is it has been exposed uh, like never before. And this president in particular, uh, because he has, has no allegiance to it, because he's not a politician, because he doesn't have necessarily a lot of friends inside, you know, these agencies, it's been a great example of what happens when a government can go awry. And our founding fathers were, you know, were the best at identifying uh, these examples of where government becomes too big, then it, you know, becomes tyrannical. And that's when it becomes dangerous. And that's exactly what we've seen. And I think what, you, you know, we've looked at, you know, from three years ago to today mm-hmm. is it's not conspiracy theories anymore. It's not deep state. It's actual evidence. It's fact. It's declassification of documents, which has shown us, you know, for the first time, people inside government, even at the highest levels, maybe Obama, maybe Hillary Clinton, we'll find out in time, were involved in the idea of taking down a duly elected president. And that is the most dangerous thing, I think, for our democracy. And I think there's going to be a lot more, you know, information and, and evidence to come out. Uh, Brent. Just from a personal granular level, uh, Rick Gates joining us here. When you're when you're going, you're going through this, you're watching the news coverage, you're looking at the overhyped stories that are running on CNN and MSNBC. I mean, how do you how does a guy process that? How do you process that knowing that these people are, are benefiting from leaks or made up fictions and then throwing that stuff around? How, how do you how do you weather that storm? I'm just kind of curious. It is very difficult, no question about it. I, you know, honestly, it was it was my my faith and my family, and my close friends that that really got me through. Uh, you know, that that horrible period of time when you have the full weight of the United States government, you know, coming after you. In this case, a singular division called the Special Counsel's Office that was able to basically do things uh, whenever they wanted, how they wanted, with very no uh, little oversight and almost absolute authority. It was a great example of, of what happens, you know, with this this country if you go down this path. And it was uh, an instance where, you know, in my opinion, and I believe this with every fiber of my body, that the Mueller investigation is going to be known uh, as the greatest crime perpetrated by Americans against Americans on American soil. And and to, to watch what has happened, to watch our country tear itself apart from within, I think has been uh, the, the most disheartening part of it. And I hope that we can rebuild from it and that that no American ever has to go uh, through this again. But it was an absolute struggle uh, to get through. And I wouldn't wish it on any other American. Absolutely unbelievable. Finally, I, I want to kind of end this on a, on a positive, on a little bit of an up note. It's got to be remarkable to look at this. We're watching a presidential election. We're watching the battle against COVID. We're watching the fallout from the Durham report and all that sort of stuff. And yet here in front of us, live on TV, we're watching a, a, a third nominee for the Supreme Court picked by uh, Donald J. Trump, President Trump. This has got to be a remarkable thing to see playing out. It's likely that Coney Barrett will be confirmed uh, to the Supreme Court. It's historic. Isn't it? I mean, this is a pretty incredible time. I, I try to go back. I, I, the idea that one president appoints three Supreme Court justices in his first term yeah. is absolutely unfathomable. And, and the president has done it with some of the highest quality candidates. These are distinguished jurists. 
and and they're amazing. And I got to tell you, I watched some of the uh, Amy Barrett uh, hearings yesterday. She is unbelievable. She is a rock. And it, you, I always love watching, you know, the 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 post uh, analysis. And even the commentators on CNN were were praising her because you know she was that good. And I just think for the for President Trump to be able to do this three times. Uh, look, it's going to have a significant impact on the direction of our legal policy in our country. And this is exactly why we have elections, right? Because yep. you've got to be in a position of having a voice and, and, and using your vote. And if there's anything I, I do like both candidates doing, it's get out and vote. And I think that's going to be the best way that we signal the direction that, you know, the majority of our people in our country want the country to go in. Um, but unbelievable opportunity, right, for, for yeah. one president to single-handedly change the course of the, of the court for, you know, decades. Yeah, absolutely. Rick Gates, Wicked Game, an insider's story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. I hope this is the first of a, of a number of conversations. I'd love to have you back on the show, Rick, and uh, wish you all the best. Appreciate your time today, my friend. Brett, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. I'm Brett Witterbull. That's Rick Gates. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.